My name is Albert PJ. Well, um, now this is how the dictionary defines it. There are two definitions. Okay, go over with me. Physically dependent on a particular substance, that's one definition. Another one is devoted to a particular interest or activity. Could you think of something else? Bad habits, yes. Doing something repeatedly, something that harms your body. A weakness, did you say weakness? Yes. There are some more words that I would give you and one of it has already come out. Next. Compulsion, fixation, craving, habit, dependence and obsession. Now, with, with, with addiction, there is a whole list. But before we go to that, uh, I'd like you to go through this. One out of every 10 adults, just go through the whole page, has, has a serious problem with drugs or alcohol. Now, anybody here who's not directly involved with an addict, either within the family or within your friends, somebody that you personally know, you don't know anybody directly? Well, you know me. I have never met a person who directly does not know somebody who struggles with an addiction. First time after so many years that I'm actually meeting somebody. You very, very rarely have people that have not a direct connection with somebody who struggles with an addiction, either within the friend circle or within, the, uh, within your, your family. Now, you know, for a person who struggles with addiction, when they really seek help, do you know where they first walk into? Friends, no. Friends is later on. Family, that's right at the end. No. Church. I heard somebody say that actually earlier. They walk into a church. And sadly, most of our churches are not equipped to handle them. And most church leaders would shoo them away. I understand this is a leadership seminar, right? Yeah. Leaders in the church would generally shoo them away and say, Shh, don't come here. This is a place for clean people. And I believe that at the end of this, this session, we as leaders are going to change our perspective to who walks into the church. Let's go on. Alcoholism and drug addiction and their effect is the third highest cause of death of people of all ages. The leading cause for death of people uh, 35 and under is accidents, but most accidents are, are, are caused because of alcohol or drugs in the system. And he says, and he's blaming it on the culture. Okay, and I mean, he smokes and he wants everybody to be with him. You know, I lost my cool. I mean, I see, you know, I, you can have a lot of kind of things like that. There are churches that make it very comfortable for you to drink. In our country and in many countries around the world, we do not recognize smoking as an addiction. And I'm glad you do. How do you know that? Where do you get cigarettes? Any shop. If the guy doesn't have anything else, he'll still have cigarettes. Who can buy them? Even a five-year-old can go buy them. No restrictions. They do not recognize it as an addiction. Because for them, a definition for addiction is anything that causes violence. Cigarettes don't cause violence. How convenient, no? But let's go on. And hopefully by the end of this session, you will begin to understand that something that is even as simple as cigarettes are so dangerous and what it causes to the body. Okay, let's go. Okay, before we go on. Now, any other addictions that we know on? Social media? Yes. What are the biggest problems today? Gambling? Gaming? Did you say cricket? Netflix, yes. It's part of the social media actually. Okay, what else? Food, yes. Uh, selfie? Okay. And listed world over, there's more than 100 addictions. And the list gets added on. Now what I have done is, I have divided addiction to two main categories. The first category I call as behavioral addiction. Okay? And I've taken what's really relevant to our context and I'm going to show you some of them. Sexual addiction, which means we're talking about people that cannot think about anything else but sex all the time. Gambling, very common with the lower middle class people. Okay? They keep buying lottery tickets, hoping to get it big, big. Next. Internet, all your social media, your, all of this comes under this. Now, if you catch yourself with Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or WhatsApp or whatever, and you've been on it for like more than three hours, and at the end of it you ask, huh, what did I do, da? If you think you've not been productive with what you've been doing on social media, you probably are already into an addiction. You need to pull yourself together. Okay, and as we go on towards the end, I will leave one word with you, which, which will uh, 
kind of help you with that. Let's go on. Addiction to shopping. In fact, Pastor was talking about this trend of, you know, uh, I don't know how I'll survive then because <laughs> this is not usually how I look. I like to look multicolored. Um, <clears throat> but who is this common with? Women. You know what? The trend is changing. You walk down Brigade Road today, you'll find men doing this. You know, they're window shopping. And there's more men's fashion today. And not that women have become any better. I'm married, I understand. But men have caught up with them. Okay? So addiction to shopping has become a common problem for men and women. Next. Computer games. We caught my six-year-old son when he was six years old with playing games one day at a stretch for 11 hours. And we were actually observing him and wanted to see how it would happen. And then we pulled it off. We pulled off all the games on the phones, my phone, my wife's phone, all of it. And he actually went through withdrawals at six years. Okay? And we had to wean him out of it and teach him and uh, tell him how important it is and, you know, all of that at six. Okay? Let's go on. Pornography. Now, what's pornography? Of course, we know. How can we tell you in church? Basically, viewing sexually explicit material. Now, these are things that you usually don't talk about in a church. But you'll understand how important this is. But before we go to this, how, how many of you heard about this person? Ted Bundy. Yes, he's the worst serial killer the world has ever known about. In fact, this guy is known to have murdered more than 200 women. Of which, about 30 of them, all below the age of 18, he has raped them, killed them, and cut them to pieces. Okay? Now, before I go further about Ted Bundy, there are two kinds of porn. What are they? And I once asked in a college seminar, I said, there are two kinds of porn. Anybody knows? And somebody said HD and SD. Well, there is soft porn and hard porn. Now, what we're talking about is hard porn. Okay? But let me tell you this, that soft porn is far more dangerous than hard porn. Now, some of you are wondering, what is soft, what is hard? Hard porn is absolute sexual explicit material. Soft porn, how many of you get Times of India at home? There you have a pornographic paper in your home every day. Look at Times of look at Bangalore Times, page three, every day, including today. Okay? There was a season when the World Cup football was going on, and even there they had porn, soft porn. There's something called as WAGs. What's WAGs? Wives and girlfriends of sports personalities. I believe none of them have clothes. They just have bikinis only. Why? Because that's how the newspaper sells. Well, I'll be coming to that a little later, but let's get back to Ted Bundy. So Ted Bundy was finally caught by the police, and he received capital punishment. He was put on an electric chair. Now, the day before his punishment, a man by name James Dobson, who's the director for Focus on the Family, interviews him. And this interview is available on YouTube. In fact, there's a movie that's released on the life of Ted Bundy. But uh, James Dobson interviews Ted Bundy the day before he, he, he received his punishment. And so James asked him and says, Ted, what happened to you? Why are you like this? So Ted goes on to explain. He says, you know what? As a teenager, the family moved to a new house. And I was exploring the house in the backyard. I tumbled over some books, took them, quickly hid them under my bed, and began to fantasize with them. And those were pornographic books. And then he says, he says, what you see of me today is that pornography addiction that never got dealt with. You know, when we were in college, when we were young, it was very difficult to get pornographic material. Now you're wondering what kind of person has pastor brought to teach you? A person who struggled in life and with God's grace made it through. Today, even if you don't want it and if you have a smartphone, porn will pop up. That's how easily accessible it is. Now, this is one addiction in that sense does not have a physical sign and symptom. You can't make out, but it completely destroys you. Men and women are equally addicted to this. Let's go on. Next. Sleeping. You know, if you sleep in class when you have a boring lecturer, perfectly fine. But we are talking about people that sleep like 12 to 15 hours every day and still not enough. Next, this is new, uh, no, overeating. What kind of people is this common with? Fat people, wrong. You know, I've been trying to reduce my Madhya Pradesh. Somehow not happening. I know I play football, I play professional football. And in fact, I'm quite fit. I run faster than quite a lot of people at, at, at the game. Um, but, but this is somehow not going, I don't know why. But it's common with thin people. They want to put on weight, they start eating, and over time becomes an addiction. Okay? Next, now this is common to our city now, it's catching up. Exercise addiction. Okay, next, I like the image, 
overworking. What's the guy doing? He's on his laptop. He's also on the phone and yeah, he's on the throne. There are a lot more listed addictions. And one of it we already mentioned, selfie. You know, if you go to Mysore Palace, the most sold product outside Mysore Palace is the selfie stick. There are people that buy selfie sticks to match the shirt color. Seriously, okay? That's how much of an addiction it, become, it has become. One of the recent addiction, addition to the addiction list is the fidget spinner. Okay, it's become an addiction. Okay, let's go on. The second category is what I call substance addiction, under which there is drugs. There is a big list of them. This is the most common ones for us. And then there is uh, prescription drugs, basically uh, abusing medicines. Now, if you go to a doctor and the doctor gives you a medicine, he says, three days, three times a day, take this medicine. That is drug use. You continue to use after three days. What is it? It's drug abuse. Simple as that. You know, we, when we have a headache, what do we go? We go to the medical store guy and say, Talno, matra kudu. We have a headache, give me medicine. Basically, that's drug abuse. But what we are talking about is people who take tablets that are extremely severe. And uh, if we take one of those tablets, we could sleep for three days. These guys would need like 20 a day to stay sober. Okay? That's how much an addiction it becomes. Next, alcohol and, of course, smoking. Yeah. Next. How many of you have heard of a date rape drug? I don't know if you go for parties, okay? It's fine to party, as long as you're partying with the right kind of people. But even then, you need to be very, very careful how you party, because they could drop something into your drink, and you would have no idea about it. It's colorless, it has no smell, it has no taste, and it's so strong that your body will automatically crave for it the next time. Okay. Now, who's targeted? Women. Why? To sexually exploit them. Why are men targeted? Why are boys targeted? It's the money. In fact, women are targeted primarily for money. Sexual exploitation is secondary. And most of the time, it will be your friend because money takes over friendship. So be very careful when you are with your glass of drink outside in a party. Let's, uh, your name? Joel. Okay, Joel is going to show us how an alcoholic walks. Hey. Isn't he so experienced? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There are four common characteristics of any addiction. Okay? The first one, is that there is a loss of control. The alcoholic thinks that he's walking straight, but he's all over the place. We already read earlier that most accidents happen because of addiction. You walk into central jail, most people who are there, especially people who have committed murder, you talk to them, they'll say, I didn't want to do it. I didn't know how it happened. And as you probe in, you'll find out that the underlying problem is addiction. You remember the case in Delhi a couple of years back, what case? Nirbhaya case, the underlying problem was addiction. Thank you so much, Joel. First characteristic. The second characteristic is that there is a compulsive preoccupation. If you're a student, if you have an addiction, you just can't focus on studies. Okay? And uh, next, third one. But before we go to the third one, how many of you here have not seen a cigarette packet? Good, we've all seen a cigarette packet, right? What's written on it? Lovely. Some of these sisters seem to know it better. <laughs> Next. The third characteristic is that <laughs> you continue to use even though you know the negative consequences. You know, I have worked in the red light area of Delhi and in Calcutta. Now, in Delhi, as you drive into the old Delhi area where the red light area is, you have these huge hoardings which say, HIV and AIDS, it will kill you. Beware. You think people who drive in there can't see it? They can, but it's a characteristic they will still continue to use. And then there is a fourth characteristic, and that is pretty much every person that struggles with addiction has attempted suicide at least once. And many of them are successful, very sadly. Next, the home alone guy, same kid, okay? Next, that's his name. You know, this kid, oh, go back, go back, go back, go back. You know, this kid at one time was so rich. In fact, he did a song with Michael Jackson. And for that one song, he has no clue how much he got into his bank. But this guy, you know, just go back. Do you know what's his age here? Yeah? 
20, he is 21. At this stage, he was found begging on the streets of New York. Authentic information, I'm in the business, I understand. I know. Okay. At one time, the richest kid, well, he's doing well, he's coming back, he's gonna get his next movie on. Next, who's this? Yes, Amy Winehouse. In fact, this is one of the better pictures of her. She walked around really shabby. Next, what's the time frame from the right picture to the left one? Between six months to a year. That's how soon she became like that. And she finally died with an overdose. Next, who's this? You know, I showed this in one class once and somebody shouted out your grandmother. She's younger than next. Yes, Whitney Houston, same person. Again, died of an overdose of cocaine. She was found dead next in, in a hotel. Go back. Okay, who's this? Britney Spears. Okay. Now, fortunately, she's part of a church now. She's recovered. She's coming back and she's doing well. Next. Now, these are celebrities. And we can go on about the list. But I can tell you stories of people that have died in my hands as young as 23. The reason I'm asking you to repeat this is because this is very important. You must have heard statements like, I'm in control, Damacha. I know when to stop. After college, I'll be fine. That's the biggest lie. Why? What's the first characteristic? There's a loss of control. You just can't be in control with any addiction that is. Children of addicts are significantly more likely to initiate addictions during their adolescence. Do you know why? Because kids walk in the footsteps of their parents. Now, if you have a parent or a primary caregiver who has an addiction, pull yourself together because you stand much more a chance of getting into addiction. Okay? And if that's you, get in touch with me. Sometime we will help you to, you know, not be, uh, uh, not fall into it. And it's good for you to also connect up with pastor and say, this is your background. This is, you know, because this is proven. Uh, we've done a lot of research on this and uh, this, is, this is a fact. Okay, so what are the causes for addiction? Peer pressure, stress, depression, Anxiety, availability, you said? Okay. Loneliness, relationships. What about relationships? Rejection, curiosity, frustrations, influences. Most of these are true. But let me show you what are the top four. Experimenting, one of the biggest problems. Peer pressure, okay, we already mentioned that. Curiosity, now curiosity and experimenting are slightly different. And I believe that this is the most, in, most uh, the, the biggest cause, the media influences. Now, I come from a media background. I worked for a while as an RJ. Uh, if you're in the habit of listening to FM radio, you would have heard of RJ, PJ. But that was me. I, I don't do that anymore. But I come from a media background and I support the media. The media is good. But let me show you the flip side of media. I'd like to show you how, uh, where, where the media fails. Okay, let's go on. But before we go to that, um, what would you say is the movie on love over the last many years. Oh, uh, nobody sees movies here? Notebook? Titanic? You know, if you're like my wife who doesn't see movies, perfectly fine. Yeah? But if you're like me who sees movies, then you should answer. All right? Let's go on. Okay? Anybody knows what is this movie? Dostana. Who are the two people? Abhishek Bachchan and John Abraham. What's the movie about? No. The movie is not about gay. The movie is about totally something else. But the message comes across, it's okay for man and man to live together. This is Indian movies, by the way. Next, he said Titanic. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody here who's not seen Titanic? Good. After, after what I'm going to say today, you'll definitely not want to see it. Okay, so the rest of us have seen it, right? Let's go over the story. So there is a rich boy. No, I was just checking if you're awake. Yeah, there's, there's a rich girl and a poor boy and they come into the ship and then what happens? Hey, do you fall in love? You know, as far as I know, if you fall, you break your nose. You know, when I saw my wife for the first time, I didn't fall in love. Because if I'd fallen in love, I would have fallen, she would have gone. But think about it. You know what that statement actually means? It talks about the depth of the love. But the problem with us young people today, you know, we fall in love, we get up, we fall in love, we get up, we fall in love, we get up, and then we say, love failure. Okay, let's come back to Titanic. So these two are in love, and how long were both of them together, according to the movie? Two days, 48 hours. What do they do in 48 hours? They go down to the basement, and they have sex together. Question, is that true love? It's not your problem. It's the media declaring that this is the movie 
on love of the sanctuary. I'll show you more. Next. Next. What advertisement is this? Can you press a B? Yeah, otherwise soft pawn is playing. What, what car? Ferrari. Who's Ferrari's customers? What men? Rich what men? Rich young men. That's the target audience. Does that mean that Ferrari will not sell to a lady? They will sell. But the primary target audience is rich young men. And that's why every Ferrari car has a top model in bikini. And they pay a bomb for them. Of course, they take it back from the customer. But they always project their car as a sexy car. Now, I'll show you the other side of it. Have you seen a Tata Ace advertisement? Yeah, some of you already got it. Can you imagine a Tata Ace with a girl in bikini? Who's Tata Ace customers? Farmers. You know what they'll say? Now, this is a newspaper article. Now, I had to remove some of those images because it's a church setting. It's, it's interesting, actually, if you go through the newspaper, especially the Times of India. And today, in India, the Times of India is the fastest selling paper. Only because of the soft pond in there. Now, this article talks about the weather dropping. Anybody here who's lived in Hong Kong? Okay, I lived in Hong Kong for a while, and there, the temperature drastically drops. And most young girls wear mini skirts, really mini skirts, you know. And uh, even during extreme winter, they'll pull over their huge, chick thick coats, but they'll still be in mini skirts. So you talk to them, and you know, in their broken English, they'll say, fashion statement. They don't mind the cold, as long as the fashion is not affected, okay? And that's what this is all about. The paper sells because of those pictures. Next, what's this advertisement about? It's a watch, it's about the watch. What is she showing? Don't answer. Who's this? Kareena Kapoor. What is she selling? Customers are women. Which she's selling? Ladies bag. Correct? Wrong. If ladies were the customer, I would have been the model. Why is Kareena Kapoor the model? Who's the target customer? Husbands, no. You know, the cheapest bag in this category costs around 30,000 rupees. If I buy this for my wife, my wife will disown me. I, I would rather buy 30 bags for her and say, use one every day. So who's the target customer? Boyfriends. That's the target customer. Next. I want you to understand this. That most media giants pervert the minds of young people. Listen very carefully. Most media giants pervert the minds of young people. And I believe they are successful. They are successful because you and I do not question. The media has a very powerful role in today's addiction. The age group of addiction has dropped down to as low as 9, 10, 11 years old. And the media is the cause because of the exposure. Recently, I was in one of the top schools in Bangalore. The principal called me and said, we need to address an issue. I only have women counselors here. I need a man. Can you please come, sir? So I went, and I knew it's some, some issue that, that they couldn't handle. So I went in, and they brought to me two fourth standard people, fourth standard children, fourth standard, nine-year-old. Nine you know what has happened? Both of them have been caught with homosexual practices in the school. Caught in the act. Can you imagine this? Fourth standard. And I didn't even know how to talk to them. So I had to go buy some chocolates and come to initiate conversation with them. And I started initiating conversation with one of them. And as I began to speak, it took me about an hour to actually hit the topic. The moment I hit the topic, he just broke down. He started crying. Nine-year-old. And he's been abused for the last three years by his neighbor children who are in eighth and ninth standard. Still, they are small which means he's been abused from when he was six years old. And I really didn't know how to handle it. Sat there praying, saying, God, give me the wisdom. And that's what we're entering into in a world that we live in today because of the kind of exposure that the media had. And as I probed in further, I found out that his dad and mom, they live in the same house, but they're not together. And both dad and mom are chronically addicted to pornography. And this mother would watch pornography and leave the phone there. And he would get to see the rest of it, right from when he was five years old. Now, here's the word that I would like to leave with pornography addiction. It's this word called drastic. When I struggled with pornography and I decided that I need to come out of it and when I seeked God's help, this word came to me that, that time. The word is drastic. Drastic. Make a drastic change. And I went home that same day and I broke the DVD player that I had. I broke it. My brother was very upset that I did that. But he didn't know what I was going through. 
And today I would ask people, if it's your mobile phone that's causing you to do that, break the phone. If it's your laptop that's causing you to do that, break the laptop because your life is much, much more worth than the laptop that you have. A drastic change. And that applies to any addiction. And you know what? The church today has the biggest form of addictions within the church. We very quietly come and we worship on a Sunday. Through the week, most of us struggle. I meet with people. I know. It's God. So how do you avoid getting addicted? Don't take the first puff. <clears throat> you know, it takes a lot more guts to say no than to just go with the flow. Now, when I say this many a times, there are a lot of people who listen to me and say, she's talking about first puff. I've already taken 100. Make it the last. And do you know what? For any person in addiction, if the person is below 50 years old and healthy, they can suddenly stop. Nothing will happen to them. Nothing. Don't worry at all. If they're above 50, then you need to go through some medication and some process. But perfectly fine otherwise. Next. So you can see that I have a lot of content. Okay, but you're free to use it. I will give it all of, all of it to you. Next. All right. Now, this is something that I would like to go through next. Um, these are signs and symptoms of any addiction, basically. But do not make a conclusion with one point. And if you do, it must be with the intention to help the person. Because here we go. Sudden or noticeable personality changes, severe mood swings, changing peer groups, decreased interest in leisure time activity, irresponsible attitude towards work or school, depressed feeling most of the time, dramatic changes in personal hygiene, changes in eating or sleeping habits, and uh, there's a yuck smell. And uh, sudden weight loss. You know, we have our pants right up to our waist and we still, you know, have like that. Today the fashion is low waist. And the way it's going, it seems like no waist. Uh, one of the reasons that their pants fall off and they keep pulling it up is because of the sudden weight loss. These guys don't realize that their weight loss is so drastic and the pants become, and that's one of the signs to watch out for, for addiction. Tendency towards being dishonest, being absent on Monday. Why Monday? Yeah, you freak out on Saturday and Sunday, exactly. Uh, frequent job losses or changes, turned off attitude if the topic is discussed, things or money are missing from home or from friends. There's always a problem with relationship, especially with the family. There's obvious signs of uh, physical intoxication and uh, there's always a negative behavior by the person in question. Okay, next, just skip through all of this. I just want to go to one. I want you to look at this image. This is a scanned image of the brain. Okay, now with that first image, uh, that's with no cigarettes and the last one is after three cigarettes. What's missing from the first one to the last one? The red color. What's red in our life? Blood. What does blood signify? Life. So if I make a statement and say with three cigarettes, life is gone out of your brain. I find it a little difficult to agree, right? But that's the truth. You know, recently we, about Three years back, we had a friend who came and stayed with us because of severe addiction. Um, he used to uh, serve in the army and the army had to send him out because of his addiction. So he came and he stayed with us, got through his uh, drugs and uh, his, his addiction to substances, went back, stayed with his brother here and continued to smoke. And um, one day he was in the bathroom, he slipped and fell, his head hit the tap and he died on the spot. Now he had a girlfriend and they had a baby and uh, he hadn't seen the baby. Another two days later he was due to see the baby and uh, that's when this happened. So we had to go through a police procedure, uh, go through a postmortem and the postmortem happened in the boring hospital. Now the family couldn't handle it so I was there and I went right up to the doctor, told him who I am and when he found out who I am he let me come right into the procedure room and uh, when, you, when they do a postmortem procedure one of the things they do is they cut open to check if there's any foul play. And they also cut open the skull. Now when they opened up the skull, you know the brain is white, pure white. For him, it was white with patches of black. And so the doctor asked me and said, does this guy smoke? I knew he smokes. I said, yeah, he does. And so then he, the doctor said, you know what, this is nicotine. And he said, over time, you'll have a black brain with patches of white. So what nicotine does is, it goes and creates like a disconnect in the brain. Now this is so easily available, cigarettes. It's worse with Panparag. You know what's Panparag? You get that very easily again in shops. Yeah, and now I had a friend in school who used to eat Panparag right from school days. And he used to come with a big Panparag dabba. 
And he used to give it to all of us. Somehow we never liked the taste of it, but he would keep eating it. Now we finished school, we finished college. One day this guy, he was brushing his teeth and the brush just came through. Well, he's a well-to-do guy. He's a marble merchant. So he managed to do a plastic surgery and all that. Today he goes around the community telling people, don't eat Pan Parag. I'd like to tell you my story. Can you just press a B? I grew up in a home where my dad was an army officer. And um, I have an older brother. And after my brother, when my mom was expecting me, they wanted a girl and I was born. I wouldn't have had a problem with that, but my dad told me this when I was very small. He said, you know what? We didn't want you. We wanted a girl. And so I grew up feeling I'm not wanted. I'm not accepted. I don't belong. And so I started to do everything to please my dad. Throughout my school, I was a distinction student. I excelled in whatever I did in school. I was, I, I was good at quiz, elocution, music, good at sports. To the extent that one time I used to run for the state. And as I got into high school, I, I went for a state level event, came back with a cup, and my dad looked at me and said, huh, your school has gone so bad huh, that you should get the cup. And that completely shattered me. So from there began another phase in my life where I decided to take revenge on my dad and I began to be a rebel. I started to do things that my dad did not like. I started to do things that my dad hated. So one of the first things that I did was I grew my hair. And I had longer hair than some of you sisters here. I started to do things to irritate my dad. And uh, I would be wild. I would do things that sometimes was not accepted. And my friends began to, to, to you know, take advantage of this. And they would pose challenges to me. So one of the challenges that came when I was in ninth standard was this. If I could go sleep in the cemetery one full night. And I did it. And nothing happened after that. Because all this while, I'm still seeking for acceptance. I'm seeking to belong. A little later, another challenge came. And the challenge was this. Can you smoke a cigarette in class when the teacher is there? And I did it. This entire class knew what was happening. Poor teacher, she had no clue. I sat in the last bench and I managed to smoke a full cigarette. Now what happened after that was my friends came, they lifted me up and they said, Albert, you're the man, you're our leader. And I thought I found acceptance. And I thought it's the cigarette that gave me the acceptance. I soon graduated. Not in studies. I graduated from smoking to alcohol, alcohol to drugs. And I was what we call a mainline drug addict. Do you know what a mainliner is? A mainliner is somebody who would inject drugs. And I still have marks of my injecting drugs. And I got into a lot of, uh, I got into drug pushing, I would peddle drugs. I got into gang fights. I always walked around with a knife in my back pocket. If somebody would stare at me for more than two minutes, I would quickly take out the knife. I'm thinking this guy's going to get me. And I would go cut across people, make sure they don't die. And then I would beat them up and say, so-and-so send me. And then I would get paid for it. And I did all these kind of things, got caught by the police a couple of times, in and out of jail a few times. My dad couldn't take this anymore, so he threw me out of home. Went and lived with friends for a while. And you know how it is with friends. After a while, they start scratching their head. I soon ran out of friends. Eventually, I was on the street. About three, three and a half months of my life, I've lived on the street. And one day, when I was on the street, I saw this guy who was... This, this friend of mine who used to copy from me when we were in school. And I thought, hey, I'm going to get something from him. He was walking towards me. He came close to me and when he saw me, he turned and he walked away. And that's when in a long time, I looked at myself and I realized how dirty I was. I hadn't had a bath for many days. I properly didn't brush my teeth, definitely haven't eaten. All I could think about was where am I going to get my next dose of drugs from? And as I sat there and this guy walked away, I asked this question, what happened to me? Why am I like this? And something that I learned as a child suddenly came back to me, and that was this. A song that I'd learned in Sunday school as a child. Now, my childhood wasn't very interesting. With all the successes that I had as a child, it was one of the most difficult childhoods that I had. I can't remember anything good. The only good thing that I can remember was the Sunday school, which my mom used to drag us to every Sunday. And my dad would say, you go to church, I'll kill you. Because my dad was a professing atheist. He actually became an atheist as he got injured in the, in, uh, as, as an army officer in the war. 
and uh, that's how we grew up. And so this day when I sat there in the market, a song that I'd learned in Sunday school suddenly came back to me. The song was this, Jesus loves me, this I know. So I prayed my very first prayer and I said, God, do you really love me? I mean, look at this guy, he just walked off. Look at my family, they don't want me. Do you really love me? And God gave me such a peace in my heart with which I knew that God does love me. And so I prayed my second prayer and I said, God, get me out of this mess. And then I walked out of the market that I slept that night, made a bonfire of all that I had in my pocket. And I remember very clearly, I had a foreign lighter, the lighter burst. And then I walked out and my mom was waiting at the door like she knew I was going to come back. And I know that God touched me because many things happened. Firstly, I didn't go through any withdrawals. I told you about withdrawals. Yeah? Withdrawals is basically the body reacting to the chemicals leaving you. And it can happen to any addiction. I told you about my six-year-old that had withdrawals with coming out of the, the gaming. And I, I should have had severe withdrawals because I'm a multiple drug addict. I'm a mainliner. And I've been on such, such an abuse. But I had nothing. And I knew that God touched me. I knew that God touched me because I went back to college after many years and passed out of the best student that I went of that college that I went to. Today, I've got degrees from places that you can't even imagine. I have an MBA. I'm a rank holder MBA from Switzerland. I have a degree from, from Singapore. I have degrees that shocks me sometimes. And that's what God has done. Every day of my life has been a miracle ever since. I never thought I would get married. I got one of the finest girls. In fact, when um, my, my wife Lali, just before we got married, the director of Campus Crusade, because she was a Campus Crusade staff, he came and said, you know what? You're taking away my best girl. And I remembered what God is, is continuing to do in my life. He gave me the best. And from there birthed a dream. And that's where we started this organization called Abayam. Now the word Abayam is a Sanskrit word. One of the reasons we use this word is because we want to have a secular front. But we are definitely a ministry. All our, all our staff are Bible college graduates. We follow biblical principles. But we have a secular front. And the word Abayam actually means freedom. That's the primary meaning. And we want to give freedom to those who are in the bondage of addiction. I want to do one illustration and with that I'm going to close. What's this? A hundred rupees. If I go to the shop, will I get chocolates? Yeah. How much chocolates will I get? I'll get chocolates for hundred rupees. Right? Watch very carefully. What is it now? It still is a hundred rupees. Will I get chocolates? Yeah, the shopkeeper look at it. It's a little crumpled. But he has to give me chocolates for? Hundred rupees. Why? It has value. All of us are full of value. Now, what do you imagine that this is just lying there? Yeah? And there's a lady who comes here to clean the place. She's never seen a hundred rupees in her life, so she has, doesn't know what it is. What will she do with it? She'll put it into the dustbin. What happened to the value? It only becomes valuable when it comes into the right hands. I'm giving it to him because I know I'll get it back. <laughs> <clears throat> Listen very carefully. The question you need to ask ourselves is this. In whose hands are we? One final question and with that I close. Why are people addicted? Emptiness? Lonely? Those are the causes. But why? Primarily why? Love? That's again a cause. They feel valued. Now this might come as a shock to some of you. God has created us as addictive people. <gasps> Just to be addicted to God. Now, I don't know if you understand this. For a drug addict, do you know what all he will do to get his substance? He doesn't mind even killing his friend. That's the extent he will go. He's very passionate about getting it. He'll rob, he'll steal, he'll do whatever. Can you undo it? Can you and I do whatever to get into the presence of God? Can you imagine what a life it will be? God created us to be addicted to God. It's a negative term. But look at the positive side of it. And if you're not addicted to God, automatically you will be addicted to something. And the world offers lots of things. Lots of things. 
Any questions? Interesting, I have one minute left. <laughs> Okay. Now, I told you in the beginning, for a person who is struggling with addiction, the first place that they would walk into is the church. Okay. Now, two things you need to be very, very cautious. One is if the person is high, if the person is drunk, be very careful with the person because they could hurt you. Never deal with a person with addiction alone. Always take somebody else with you, two of you together. What happens to the addict is when he sees two people, he feels weak already. Okay. One, first thing, that is when he's drunk. And don't talk about God at that moment. That's the last thing they want to hear. What they want to hear is, they just want to hear you, tell me how can I help you. Let them talk. And after they talk, send them back and say, come tomorrow. Don't do anything the first day. Okay? Because working with addiction is not a crisis intervention. It's not an emergency service. You don't need a beacon light. Yeah? It is not an emergency service. They can come the next day or the following day also. That will tell you how serious the person is. And tell them very clearly, when you come tomorrow, don't drink and come. Yeah, Because this is a place where God is and we'd like you to respect that. So don't drink and come. I will talk to you tomorrow. Send them back. That's the first thing to do. Okay, the second thing to do. The third thing that you need to do is you need to begin to pray for the person by name. Why? Because addiction itself are different spirits. Alcoholism, it's a spirit by itself. And you're working in the spiritual when you deal with a person. If you're not going in with a lot of prayer backing, you can be attacked. I know of a very senior pastor who has come to me for help because he struggles with pornography. And do you know how it started? He helped a young man come out of his pornography addiction. This young man came to him brought a bunch of CDs and said, these are the CDs, pastor, that I, that I use. The pastor took it, kept it with him, prayed over, set him free and sent him. And he said, let me see what is in it. That's it. <clears throat> He's a very senior pastor. And he knew if he didn't come to me, he goes to anybody else, he'll be shattered even more. And so we had to, first thing we did was to break that. And he's asking me, do you want to see it? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> But that's how it works. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, so I hope you've answered your question. Any other? Okay, if you search the net, there are lots of videos that will tell you of what are the effects of smoking. Okay, one. Second, uh, that, that's one. Second is, ask the person how much of money they spend for smoking. And this has worked with a lot of people that I've dealt with. Now, I understand today for one cigarette, it's about 15 rupees. And most people on an average spend about 150 rupees per day for cigarettes alone. Now, we would tell them, can you put that money separately and give it to charity? And that really helps them. Yeah? Don't tell them, put bubble gum, use Nicotex, doesn't work. Because what needs to happen is for them, they need to break the habit. They don't need to substitute the habit. Okay? Substitution does not work. So the Nicotex is a big failure. Doesn't work. Uh, never proved that it works. Okay? People just fool themselves saying, oh, I'm fine. They're talking about being fine for one week. Yeah, that's it. But they're never fine. Okay? But people who've drastically stopped, that's, that's how it changes. So that's one way of helping them. Tell them, use that money for something good. That works. Yeah? The third thing that they can do is to have a couple of people around them who are not smoking and they would be accountable for him regularly or consistently for, for a period. You know? And he can connect with them, go to them, meet with them, so on. And the church that way is one good place. For us as Abayam, uh, for us the church plays a very key role in our recovery program, in, in our program. So we connect up with churches around. All right. It's a very difficult question. Now, I want you to understand this, that every one of us are uniquely created. So also, our problems are very unique. Yeah. Now, you can't kind of structure it and say, this is how every family should deal with it. It has to be different with each family. Yeah? But number one, as the head of your home, in your home, you put a rule and say, in my home, you will not do this. You want to do this, get out of my home. No problem with that if the person is an adult. Okay? Let them be responsible for their action. Say, you come into my home when you're willing to follow my rules. Now, if you need help, we will help you. Okay? Don't force help on any person that's struggling with, help, with, with addiction. They will not take it. 
You only help the person when the person comes to you. And family is one of the key to help a person with addiction. Because when they walk into a church and they walk into a friend's group, they always think of family as the last for seeking help. But primarily, family should be the first. You know? But they never see it. They cannot, never understand it. And everybody that works should deal them to the family. So for us in Abayam, we always bring the family back. We bring them in, we sit with together, and we realize that there are problems also with the other side in, in the family. Okay? So lay our rules very clearly, make it you know, clear that this is how it is, and we will help. We will you know, make sure that, yeah, call me if you need help there. I will come. Okay, now if I understand your question right, you're talking about how to help a person whose addiction is not visible. Okay, tell me this, what is different between an addict and us in the church? Yeah, yeah, most of us in church wouldn't know. Yeah, we as professionals sometimes are shocked with the kind of things that we see. So, don't worry, that's perfectly fine. What's different between an addict and us in the church? There is no difference. The only difference is, his sin is visible, my sin is not visible. And do you know what? All of us stand in need of the same grace that Christ offers to us. You know, if you begin to understand this, you will not have a problem with an addict, okay? Now, this brother's question is about visible and invisible sin. You and I cannot do anything about the sin. But every person, we bring them to the grace of God. Ah, you're talking about how to help, right? Okay, got the question. Thank you. Okay, let me clarify. You're talking about how do I deal with a person who's smoking because I have not smoked. How do you deal with a person who's raped if you've not raped? You cannot. You cannot. Yeah? Even if you've experienced it, you cannot help the person. Yeah, let's be very clear about that. I cannot help any person. What I am doing is I create a platform for them to come to Christ who helps them. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. As a pastor, please welcome them. I, I got it, I got it, yeah. Like, like I said earlier, yeah, yeah, every church has that problem. Every church has a problem. In fact, it's not just the Christians that would walk into a church seeking help. In fact, it's the non-Christians that would walk into the church seeking help. The Christians don't come into church, yeah. They've, they've had enough of the church. But it's the non-Christians that would walk into the church seeking help actually. But understanding your question better, now, honestly, as pastors, you and I cannot really identify a problem. Yeah? Now, here's the issue. What we do is, we go with the spirit leading us. Yeah? We go with a, 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 a understanding, Lord, I'm helpless. I don't know what to do. Yeah? You show us what to do. And that's the attitude that we go with with every person. Now, for us, as professionals in the field, when a person walks into our home, we are absolutely helpless. Because their problem is so unique and we stand, we go down on our knees and say, show us Lord what we should do. With every person, even today, being in the work for so many years. And I think that's the key. That's all. That's all it takes. And, and, and God actually does his work. And uh, he finds it, you know, uh, I'm humbled to know that he finds me useful to be a blessing to that person. He can do it directly actually. I mean... I don't, I cannot know. I cannot know unless the person opens up and tells me. I, I, I can, you know, in a, in a group like this, how do I know if there is an addict sitting here? I do not know unless the person comes to me and say, Pastor, I have a problem. This is my problem. Yes, I, I cannot do anything. I cannot do anything. Yeah. <coughs> I cannot do anything. Okay, if you go to my website, my story is in a video form. One of the ways to do it is use my story. Tell them you met this person who's come out of addiction. Just listen to his story. Yeah, that's one way. That's one of the breaking edge. The other way is to go up to the person and say, listen, I'd like to be your friend, but is there something we can do about your smoking? I'd like to help you. How can you? And if they say yes, give me a call. We'll, we'll tell you how to deal with the person. Yeah, but it's difficult otherwise. Yes. Okay, now, <clears throat> um, this is a common thing in the church. They say, Jesus drank wine. How can you tell me not to drink? Okay. 
<coughs> they are people who know better, better Bible than us, so leave them alone. But if they are genuine, yeah, ask them this question, yeah, what's the good quality of alcohol? What is alcohol good for? Any idea? It's, a, it's, a, it's used only for medicinal purpose. For us, for us who shave, we, sh we finish shaving and we use alcohol. Simple. It's the highest content of alcohol. So what does that do? In simple layman terms, when I shave, I have a cut. When I put aftershave, the cut is healed instantly. So which means live blood cells become dead blood cells. That's what alcohol is for. When I use that for drinking, what happens? Explain that to them. That's one. Second, we can show stories of people that have had complete liver dis dysfunction. And we have people like that in our home. If you, f if you have the time, come over. We will, you can get to connect with them, meet with them. And you'll see how difficult their life is after what they've gone through with extensive alcoholism. Okay? Um, but some of them would say it for argument's sake. Leave them alone. They're not going to, you know. If they're genuine, talk to them and say, you know, there are people who are willing to help. And this is... This is what alcohol is for. It's not meant for drinking. And uh, you know, work them out. Yes. Okay. Um, let, me, let me very clearly say this. Now, uh, we are a family that's quite into music. My kids have their own band. Um, so a lot into music. Yeah? Now, we are very clear about what kind of music they should listen to. But you'll still find them coming back and saying, why this? So I said, where did you pick up this song from? And my son says, school bus I picked it up from. So there is no way that you can actually restrict. The more you restrict, the more they are curious to find what is in it that my dad does not want me to do it. So what we have done in our home is, we've exposed them to it and we've shown them what's bad and what's not, what's good. You know, we talk about pornography in our home to both our kids. Now my, my older one is 15, my younger one is 10. And I started talking to my younger one about pornography, you know. And uh, when he was small, he would say things like, shame, shame, puppy, shame. But we realized that there's much more than that. And we've begun to actually tell him, where is the flaw? Where is it wrong? What's the line that you should draw? Instead of him learning from his friends wrongly, let him learn it rightly from us. Okay? Now, in some homes, it may not be very comfortable to do that. Send your kids to a preteen meeting and ask the preteen leader to address this issue. Okay? Now, we do that in our church. We have preteen meetings that address all these issues and uh, specifically because they are not very comfortable in the home. Our church talks about this very openly. We have sessions on all of this quite often. Okay? And I wish most churches do. Thank you, Pastor, for doing this here. It's so valuable. Okay? So that's one of the ways to do it because otherwise they will learn it. They will get exposure to it. Yeah. Okay, is it good to spend time with your friend who's drunk and drinking? It's fine as long as you know where to draw your line. Okay, my line is I will not walk into a bar. Yeah, I will be your friend, but I will not pour the drink for you. I will not buy you the drink. There are, you know, a lot of things like that. But beyond that, I will continue to be your friend. But these are my limitations, these are my rules.